0: Especially. Good morning, Redeeming Grace Church! Good morning, we're glad to have you here with us today. If this is your first time here, my name is Matt Rawlings, I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for being here with us today. Welcome. If you can go ahead and find a seat, and if I can get one of the ushers to go out in the hallway and compel them to come in, that would be great. We're going to be reading from our, and we're going to be continuing our, our series in the book of Acts this morning, and we're going to be reading a, a rather long portion of Scripture, and when we go through a long portion of Scripture. I'd like to have other people read the Scripture for us so that you get a little bit of a break, and so we can pay full attention to God's Word and listen to that, and then hear the message that God has for us this morning. So turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 10. Be reading from Acts chapter 10 all the way through Acts chapter 11 18. So if you don't have a Bible, please follow along with somebody beside you. If you see somebody sitting beside you who does not have a Bible, please offer to share it. Because it's such a long passage, I did not put on the overheads. I want you to be able to see where we're getting God's Word. So let's hear God's Word read to us this morning. Kimberly?
1: Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I went for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord." So Peter opened his mouth and said, "'Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Christ Jesus, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea Then they asked to remain for some days. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life.
0: This is God's holy inspired word. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you that when your word is preached, you are working powerfully in the midst of your people. God, thanks for this example that that shows us that it is your word that transforms us. It's your word that makes us alive and makes us new. And Father, I pray this morning that we would anticipate you to be at work here this morning as you were at work there. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fall upon us as your word goes forward today. God, we pray for you to enliven us, Lord. I pray that you would give us an expectancy to see you at work. Lord, to, to shatter all of our preconceived notions. God, I pray that you would, you would tear down any, any barriers in our minds, that you would give us faith that you are at work, that you're the one who calls, you're the one who makes clean, and you're the one who makes alive. So, Lord, do your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man named Gene Brown. He once shared a little story about two apples. He said two apples were up in a tree. They were looking down on the world. And the first apple, he says, look at, look at all those people. They're fighting. They're robbing. They're they're rioting. No one seems willing to get along with this fellow man. Someday we apples will be the only ones left. Then we'll rule the world. Replied the second apple Which of us, the reds or the greens? It's a little humorous, but it highlights what was really a reality for us is that we can often distinguish between different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different colors. We can, we can often tend to differentiate or discriminate between others of different maybe ethnicities or social classes or castes, if you will. A less humorous story about Mahatma Gandhi that is really from his own autobiography it was called The Story of My Experiments with Truth. Unfortunately, Gandhi never found the truth, but he shares an account that happened during his formative days in England and he he wrote that he had he had read the gospels he was interested in them he actually considered himself a follower of the sermon on the mount and so he was curious about christianity and he said he even seriously considered converting to Christianity. He saw that the teachings of Jesus could be a solution to this caste system that he hated, to this societal structure that alienated and isolated some, that differentiated between people based on their social status. So one Sunday he went to visit a church in England and so that he could talk to the minister about what it meant to be a Christian. But when he entered the building, there was an usher there who informed him that "'This place is not for people of your kind. It was for whites only. You should go and worship with people of your own caste and your own kind.'" Well, Gandhi, he left the church. He never looked back. He never came back again. And he wrote, "'If Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu.'" You see, the actions that he encountered were absolutely contrary to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to to tear down walls, to to break down those barriers. It, It has come so that everyone from any background, any ethnicity, tribe, tongue, and nation can be born again in Jesus Christ. The actions of the usher had nothing to do with what Jesus came to do. Jesus came so that all nations of the earth might be saved through him. And the good news about Jesus, we have to remember, it's it's not an American thing, it's not a white thing, it's not a a Jewish thing, it's it's not a black thing, it's not a thing of any different skin color. It's the good news about Jesus doesn't belong to just one language or culture or ethnicity. It doesn't just belong to one social status. And that's what we see here this morning in this wonderful passage, this beautiful, really miraculous account of God orchestrating events and moving Cornelius and Peter and making things happen because God wanted them to see, He wanted them to see that that through Jesus, through Jesus, the hope of all the nations, through Jesus Christ, He he desires to give new life and to call those who are unclean, clean. And really the main idea that I think Luke wants us to see, and that I, want, I believe that God has for us this morning in this passage, is that since Jesus is Lord of all, and this is that's taken directly from the passage later on when, when Peter is preaching, and he kind of parenthetically just says, Jesus is Lord of all. So since Jesus is Lord of all, we should take the gospel to all. Since Jesus is Lord of all, we should take the gospel to all because all find acceptance in him. There is no acceptance outside of Jesus Christ. And since Jesus is Lord over all, we're called to take the gospel to all because that's where all find acceptance in him. And there's really five truths that this passage reveals to us and five implications of the fact that Jesus is Lord of all. So if Jesus is Lord of all, what are the implications of that? And we see that Luke is spelling those things out for us in in kind of picture format. Luke, Luke doesn't teach in the same way that a lot of the other epistles will teach, but Luke teaches us by giving us examples, by giving us principles lived out. And he carefully chooses these accounts. They're, they're all accurate historically, but he carefully chooses accounts because he wants to make a point. And so the first truth, the first implication that we see is that God comes to the unclean and seeks them out for himself. God comes to the unclean and seeks them out for himself. And we can see this really in the first eight verses of the passage. Right at the beginning, God makes it very clear that he goes to the unclean. See, it might be surprising for Luke's early readers as they picked up Acts and they they opened up their scroll, I guess, back then, and they saw, wait a minute, this is a Roman centurion. This is the occupation force. These are the guys who are the source of all of our troubles. And yet God is sending an angel to the unclean? God is is going and seeking them out for himself? And and so the account opens with this Roman centurion Cornelius. Verse 1 tells us, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Not only was he a Roman... Not, not only was he living in Caesarea, which was a predominantly Roman town in the midst of Judea, but he was a centurion. He was, he was one of the, the most elite trained soldiers. He was one of the bad guys, if you will, in that day. Although, oddly enough, Scripture, so many times you see that it's the centurions who have more faith. You see, God was drawing Peter out of his comfort zone. He was He was drawing disciples into unfamiliar territory, and and, and Luke's showing us here really that the gospel is meant to go to those who are unclean, that God's intent was always to save the nations through Jesus Christ. Herod had built the great city of Caesarea, named it after Caesar Augustus. By this time... The Roman cohort was, was stationed here. It was both the civil and military capital of all of the Judea, the, the province of Judea, which included Israel, Jerusalem. And, and it was the seat of really the hated ones, according to the Jews. And because of that, there weren't very many Jews in the city. And so Peter is being drawn to a man who is otherwise his enemy. He goes to this culturally Roman city and somehow Cornelius, he has been influenced by, by Judaism but he's not ready yet. He's not ready to fully commit. It says that he's a God-fearer. What that means is a God-fearer is a, is a specific term that was used for people who would see that the truth of who this one true God is but they weren't ready to give up their lifestyle. They weren't ready to to convert fully. They weren't ready to follow all the laws because it might mean embarrassment because they would be That would be a little odd compared to the rest of the Romans. But yet he's a God-fearer, and he says he's praying, and he's devout. He's giving alms. He's doing all that he can to be a good person, but yet he's not been born again by doing that. There's something striking for us in the South as well. You can see that you can have a a good man, a man who who is known throughout all the region as giving alms, it says, and who who says prayers, and and he's generous. He has a good reputation amongst all the Jews. This This is a good guy. You might think that he's already been born again or at least he's already a Jew but yet he's not he's neither a Jew nor is he a Christian and yet God hears his prayers because God is seeking out people who are unclean and God called Cornelius dramatically he still needed to repent he still needed to believe he still needed forgiveness he didn't have the answers yet So verse 3, if you look down your Bibles with me, please, it tells us that an angel appeared to him and he was terrified. It says, about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision of an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, you can just kind of picture this this tough Roman centurion, this battle-hardened man who'd probably seen a lot of action by this time in his life. He's old, he's wise, not a lot phases him. And yet, it says he just stares when his name is called, and he's terrified. He's terrified. God is calling to him through this angel. And so he, he kind of stares in terror, and you kind of imagine a blank, and he kind of just, well, what is it, Lord? And he says to him, Your prayers and your alms of a as is a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. And he gives them the specifics of exactly where to go, and exactly who to speak to. And so Cornelius, he, he responds. But Luke wants to make sure that you know, that the reader knows, that he's not hallucinating. It says he clearly saw. He clearly saw an angel. This isn't any hallucination. This isn't any, any he wasn't eating something strange. He didn't have too much to drink. And the angel of God says that God hears your prayers the prayers of this unclean man, this man who was not a Christian. Who knows what the content of his prayers might have looked like. Maybe he was crying out and saying, God, I've been trying to be good enough, but I'm not, I'm not ready to, to, to convert, and I don't want to give everything up, and follow those laws is hard, but God, I know that I need you. Who, knew, who knows what his prayers, the content of his prayers were like? As a God-fearer, he would have known that the only, there's only one God. He would have known about his own sin and the law, And maybe he was praying constantly, God, show me the truth. Lord, free me from these temptations that I face. Whatever he prayed, it says God heard his prayers and he sent an angel to him. The angel didn't tell him the good news. I think that's interesting. God could have told him the good news through an angel, but he didn't do that. Instead, he makes Cornelius wait to hear the good news from a man. And so Cornelius, though, he obeys, he responds to God's calling, he obeys the angel. He sends two of his personal assistants to trust the soldier, and he tells them everything. That must have been a little strange for those guys, by the way. Here you have this, this tough centurion, this good leader, and he's telling you he had a vision. He had a vision from an angel. Oh, Okay. But these, the, he obviously, they, they must have trusted him, they must have had a good relationship, they must have respected him, so they thought, okay, we'll go. And so he sends these two personal tenants and a soldier probably to escort them. And God was making it clear through this that he comes to the unclean. And that's good news. That's, that's good news not just for Cornelius. It's good news for each and every one of us. You know why? Because all of us were unclean. There's no one here who can claim to be clean on your own. No amount of giving, no amount of prayer, no amount of good works makes you clean. And so God comes to the unclean, and God calls the unclean. You, you, you probably have not had an experience like Cornelius had where an angel showed up and spoke to you, but nonetheless, God called you, and God calls to all those who are unclean because he wants to make the unclean clean. And then we see in the second second truth here is revealed to the reader. second implication of the fact that Jesus is Lord of all. We see it in verses 9 through 20. It's a a rather large section. And we can see the second implication is that God is the only one. God is the one who calls people clean. God is the one who calls people clean. That's good news because if we were the ones to call people clean, we would probably only call those people clean that we got along with. Peter probably would have, and the disciples probably would have stayed in that that comfortable area thinking, when Jesus said you're going to take the good news throughout Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and the ends of the earth, they probably were thinking, well, that means to all the Jews that have been scattered in the diaspora, God's chosen people, and so we're going to continue to do that. Yet God makes it really clear that no, God's the one who calls, calls people clean. It's not works. It's not your religion not your background. It's not your heritage. God's the one who calls people clean, and he makes that point really clear. Look down at verse 9. It says, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, somewhere about noon. And at the same time that they were on their way, God was, was, he was actively at work orchestrating things. He appeared to To Cornelius the day before, he sends these guys. And just as they're about to arrive, he shows Peter a vision. God was orchestrating things so that that Peter wouldn't have too much time to think and and second-guess himself. And also so that Peter would get the connection between the vision and what the vision meant. And so verse 10, look down your Bibles. It tells us, Peter was hungry. And he wanted something to eat, but it wasn't ready yet. I love, I love the really human details in this story. <laughs> I can relate to Peter. He's hungry. It's not ready yet. I guess I'll go up on the roof and I'll pray. And he falls asleep. It sounds like me so often when I go up to pray. I'm like, I have great intentions. I'm going to pray. And, oh, Lord, I'm going to pray. And then I just end up nodding off. Well, in the midst of that, God uses our very human, our very frail condition. And God uses Peter's hunger and his very frail condition. And so while they're preparing the meal... He kind of goes into this dazed kind of state, but he sees this vision clearly, and he's so focused on the vision and so oblivious to everything else around them that, that, it says he, he he fell into a trance as if it were. And that, that word is not what in, in modern day that can seem to mean that you know he was you know he was he was in doing spirit travel or something weird. No, that just means that he was he saw a clear vision and he was focused on it so that kind of everything else faded. He wasn't asleep yet he was focused on this vision he was seeing. And inside of this this sheet, this this linen sheet, this big sheet that was lowered down, he sees all kinds of animals. He sees every kind of four-footed animal. That would have included those unclean animals and clean animals both. He saw every kind of creeping thing, snakes and spiders and all kinds of creepy crawlies and centipedes and think about all the creepy crawlies that you don't like Peter was seeing here. He says all kinds, every kind of four-footed animal Maybe saw a few skunks in there. I don't know. Mix of birds of prey and clean and unclean. And not only would a, would a Jew really be taken aback by, by the command that, it was, that was given to eat unclean things, but, but all these unclean and clean things were mixed together. There was no differentiation between the two. There was, there was no difference between the clean and unclean. They were all mixed together. In Jewish customs, even if dishes were ever used for an unclean thing they were they were spoiled and they couldn't be used for clean things again jewish old testament was it was clear they were not to eat certain kinds of animals like the rest of the nations around them did where they would become unclean and there was such a tight association between what they ate with the nations that the Jews, when they were avoiding Gentile ways and practices, it became almost synonymous with avoiding Gentile foods, because to eat food with the Gentile was to share a fellowship with them, which could make you unclean, and so those two were closely related, and they weren't permitted to eat things like pigs, and I'm grateful for this passage. We can eat bacon now, and they couldn't eat badgers or groundhogs or any kind of reptile or snake or creepy thing, and you know, Peter wasn't the only one that, to kind of look down on people who ate other things. I don't know if you've ever watched something like Bizarre Foods with Aunt, uh, whoever the guy's name is, Zimmern or something like that. They eat really strange things, but it's not, it's not relegated to something overseas. My, my wife and I, we both grew up in rural Virginia, and uh, she grew up with very little means financially, even though she was classically educated and learning Latin at an excellent school academically. But they didn't have very much, to, much money, and so they ate whatever they were given. And at times, my wife, that, that meant eating things like, like rabbit or squirrel or groundhog or roadkill, deer. It was, it was meat, and they were grateful for it. But some people can't relate to that. And you can automatically think that, boy, if you eat groundhog, groundhog? Rock badger? You must not be very smart. You must be backwoods. You must be low class. And it's kind of a subtle discrimination that we, we can tend to do. And that's really weird. It must have been up in that Appalachian area they kind of like, ring, 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 where they play the guitar and you're like scared and, and, um, <laughs> and you can look down on people. And you can, but it's a, it's a really subtle discrimination. But we're all tempted to that kind of discrimination. But even more heightened than that for Peter was he tempted to look down on those foods because those foods were associated with those people. And so this voice shockingly tells him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Not just eat, but kill and eat. Bloody your own hands, slaying these unclean things. And this voice from heaven was asking him to do something that was offensive to him and against the Jewish laws. And, and there was three other times, if you are looking, if you know your Old Testament, if, you, if you've read about Abraham, he was asked, to do something very offensive. He was asked to sacrifice Isaac. And then Hosea was asked to marry a harlot or a prostitute. And Isaiah was told to go around virtually naked for three years. These were some offensive, repugnant things that they were asked to do. And yet the expectation was that they would listen and obey, that they would obey God's voice. Obey God's calling. In every case, just like this one with Peter, the person is asked and expected to begin to do what's presented to them. And so we we see something though. Peter doesn't, he doesn't respond the first time. Now that's that's kind of encouraging for, for me because I know that I don't respond to God the first time often as well. Now, notice, look down at verse 14 in your Bibles, please. It says that Peter, he recognized the Lord speaking to him in his vision. He says, by no means, Lord. Wait a minute. He knows this is God speaking to him? And he says, by no means, Lord? What? I thought he was a great apostle. Didn't he just hear God speaking? And yet he goes, by no means, Lord. I think sometimes we can, we can have that same kind of reaction, right? Go, and talk to that person on the bench at the park that smells bad, that looks like they don't have a place to live, go and talk to them and befriend them. Go take them home for dinner. Oh, by no means, Lord, I think that's dangerous. They don't seem clean. Maybe Peter thought it was a test at first. Maybe... He thinks, well, I can't disobey God. Maybe God's testing me. But, but then he hears this. this second speaking it becomes very clear. And I wonder if the, the tone changed a little bit, a little bit after that. And 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 he heard this voice a second time. And it makes it clear there's no test, and he, it, it corrects Peter. And the second voice comes to him and says, "What God has made clean, do not call common." And you think that that would kind of put Peter in, in his place and that would kind of check him and then he would think, okay, well, all right, well, I'm, 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 it's just really gross, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna have a spider or whatever it was that he was most grossed out by. But he didn't. Because he needed to get the message. He needed to see that God is the one who makes things acceptable and clean. God was the one who, who differentiated between things in the Old Testament so they would see that they really couldn't be clean on their own. And he wants Peter now to see that, yes, I commanded in the Old Testament we separate those foods because I want you to be set apart and different from the nations, but you, 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 even then you couldn't do it, you couldn't be clean. And I want you to see now that really it's me who makes things clean or unclean. God's the one who makes things acceptable. God has the right to declare things clean. And that's good news. Because if you place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, then He is the one who declares you clean, and no one can declare you unclean. say that again. If, If God has declared you as clean, no one can declare you unclean. What, how's that function for us? Well, if, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and place your faith in Him, you probably continue to sin. I know I do. I don't know. Anybody here continue to sin as a Christian? There's five people. Excellent. The rest have arrived. But for those of us who continue to sin, I need to know that good news that God's the one who makes things clean, that God's the one who declares me clean. Because I feel unclean. There are times and probably every day where I'm aware of my sins and uncleanness against God and my faith and my hope is that God, you are the one who declares clean, not my behavior, not my right living, not my almsgiving, not even my following the law and obedience to you and all those good things But God is the one who makes things clean. And God, what God has made acceptable, Peter's not to call common or unclean. And that goes for us as well. See, we can differentiate by what we see, we can differentiate by what we hear, we can differentiate by our experiences, by our culture, by how you were raised, by your biases. We can differentiate according to those things. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do that. People are not clean or unclean based on your expectations. It's not about their accent or where they came from or how much money they have or don't have. It's not about the color of their skin. It's not about their preferences or what they eat. So he says, don't go on rejecting what I call clean. For a Jew to accept a Gentile's food would have been to accept the Gentile himself. And so, Peter really is getting it. He's thinking, oh, wait a minute. If if all these unclean foods, which are associated with table fellowship and being unclean with Gentiles are accepted, then, then God's saying something bigger here. This is not just about food. And so, after three times... And Peter was familiar with three times, wasn't he? <laughs> he denied Christ three times, and yet Christ had kind of restored him three times. And now, though he's not perfect yet, that's 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 hope giving to me. This happens three times, and then God takes it up again, and He's saying it comes down from heaven. He takes it back up from heaven. God's trying to demonstrate, Peter, this is me. You need to listen. This is a heavenly voice, and you, it is clear. And so Luke writes that Peter was very confused, very perplexed. He was confused. What in the world does this mean? This is not just about food, obviously. Could this mean? Could this mean that, that the law has been set aside by Christ and that there's no longer any distinction between Jew and Gentile on the basis of the law? But, but the distinction, is, the dividing wall of separation has been broken down? could this be? And so to make sure that Peter gets the right association, God times things perfectly and he tells Peter, by the way, Peter, there's three men. They're outside. They're calling for you right now. Go down there and when you get to them, go with them right away. And he says, don't second guess anything. And the word there for hesitation, without any hesitation, it really, it really has the, the meaning of without discriminating, without taking issue, without making distinctions based on the kind of people that they are. He says, so Peter, there's three men out there. Don't pay attention to where they come from, to their, to their backgrounds. Don't discriminate against them. I want you to go with them because I've sent them. And so he goes. He, he gets up. He goes down, downstairs. And God wants Peter to know that he is the only one who calls things clean. And then we see this, a third truth, a third implication of the the reality that Jesus is Lord over all, as Peter tells us later. And this, this third truth we see in verses 21 through 33, it's that God calls disciples of Jesus to go to those who are considered unclean. God calls disciples of Jesus to go to those who are considered unclean. Don't stay in your comfortable place by the sea in Joppa, Peter. Don't stay where it's, it's beautiful and where it's easy. Peter, I want you to go to the unclean. Go to Caesarea. Go where it's difficult. Go where it's a very Gentile culture. And go to this centurion, this enemy. And God calls all of us as disciples of Jesus to, to go to those who are considered unclean. Imagine had, if Peter had not gone to Cornelius if they had not obeyed and taken the gospel to Gentiles. I, I can't imagine there'd be a couple maybe in the room who would be here today. So Peter goes and he obeys the Spirit and he goes down and he says, I'm the one you're looking for. Why, why are you looking for me? And so they explain their boss, this Roman centurion Cornelius. He's, he's a good and moral man. He's got a great reputation. Everybody loves him. And he's been directed by an angel. And I, I know it sounds kind of weird, but... They don't know what's happened to Peter. And so you can imagine that they're sharing the story. So our boss, this Roman centurion, he kind of saw, and we want you to come with us. And Peter's like, yeah, I know, something weird happened to me too. It's got to be God. Come on in. Now, before you read too quickly over that, where he welcomes them in as his guest, you need to think about that for a moment. I think he, he, in that moment, made the correlation between unclean food and the implication that that means fellowship with Gentiles because these were Gentiles. And what does he do? He invites them into his home. Well, the Jewish law said that you're not to associate with the Gentile, much less eat with them. And so Peter, he's making a connection, an immediate application. He invites them to come in and be his guest, and they, they eat together. They stay overnight. They couldn't have made the return trip the same day without eating and resting. It was about a 12-hour walk down from Caesarea. They got there in the afternoon. They would have been hungry too. Peter was very food-oriented, so he invited him to come in for the meal. I like Peter a lot. I wonder if Peter ever got to eat bacon. Um, <laughs> it changed everything that Peter was about. It changed everything that that Peter knew and he, he had to set aside the law and everything that was acceptable to him and he obeys God and he took these men in and so then the next day they make the trek up to Caesarea and Cornelius is expecting that they're going to come he, he's in faith he makes plans for the arrival he gets all of his relatives and friends together and they're all waiting there as Peter comes in I can just imagine that Peter he's just walked 12 hours he's, he's probably a little tired and yet, Cornelius, when he gets into Cornelius' house, he looks around and he's like, whoa, there's a lot of people here. I thought I was just going to go talk to this guy named Cornelius, and you've got a whole household and all the relatives and friends and neighbors around. And Peter's thinking, well, this is not, this isn't normal. You see, they all lived in Israel, and whether or not they were all Romans, they would have known that it wasn't lawful for a Jew to even associate with a Gentile. That was predominant reason for why Caesarea was was mostly Roman, is because there's a lot of Romans there who weren't allowed to associate with the Jews, and the Jews didn't want to associate with the Romans, and so most of them moved out from there and did as little business as they had to. They would have known that this is a taboo, this taboo jew is coming into cornelius's house something is different here about this guy this is not an obscure cultural observance they would have been obvious to anybody in that day there's a jew amongst us whoa that doesn't happen the jews would have made sure that that the gentiles knew that the jews would be segregated and the segregation was clear and it was obvious and it was a With a taboo to break the rules of segregation. And the Romans might have been even schooled of, hey, don't go into Jews' homes and stir up trouble by doing that. And so in this highly segregated context, Peter says something truly remarkable, something that would have shocked all the people who would have known these Jewish customs. He comes in. What's the first thing that he says in this segregated environment? Put yourself maybe back in the 50s in Greenville where guys like Jesse Jackson grew up, put yourself in the shoes of somebody in the 50s in a segregated environment and God's calling you to go to that other culture because he wants to break down the walls of separation because God is the one who makes people clean and God calls his disciples to go to whoever we consider unclean, no matter what that perspective is. And so Jesus goes into the segregated context, and I mean Peter goes into the segregated context, and he says something remarkable. He says, God has shown me, look down your Bibles, God has shown me I should not call any person common or unclean. Yep, Peter got it. It wasn't about food. It was about the separation between Jews and Gentiles. He says, God has shown me I should not call any person common or were unclean. Hundreds of years earlier, Moses had instructed people of Israel to be separate, to be set apart, to be different in dress and how they lived and what they ate and how they bathed. Don't intermarry. Don't defile yourselves by associating with anybody who wasn't one of God's people. And yet, in one moment, God is showing that he intends to break down all the dividing walls of separation. All all the social distinctions, all the distinctions between nations and ethnicities and people groups, because God wants to bring one people to Himself, who He makes clean through His Son. You see, it was God's intention all along that people see that we can't ever really be fully acceptable by obeying the law. You can't ever be perfect on your own. We can't keep the law perfectly. We're bound to fail and. Even the Jews would really be unclean and need to be made clean year after year after year. They needed the good news just like we need the good news, like all of us do. The law doesn't bring cleansing, but God brings cleansing. And he calls his disciples to go and bring his cleansing to people through the good news. So he says to Cornelius, well, why'd you send me? And Peter tells him exactly what happens and he goes through the recounting of the vision and then in verses 34 to 38, Peter preaches, and when he does, we see really the fourth truth that God wants the reader to get. And what's this, this fourth implication of the fact that Jesus is Lord of all? Well, Peter declares it in his sermon. He begins off really in, in verse 34. And, and so this, this fourth truth, this fourth implication is that God doesn't show partiality. Why is that important? God doesn't show partiality. He said, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. Look in verse 34. It says, so Peter opened his mouth. Truly, I understand God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone. Are you, are you you're getting these words? No partiality in every nation. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable or able to come to him. Peter's saying, I get it. Anybody who fears God and seeks to do what's right is acceptable to come to God. He's not saying that anybody who fears God and does what is right is accepted by God eternally or receives Jesus. What he's saying is that that God comes to all those who will fear him and seek to do what's right. Some people have used this scripture to, to argue really for universalism and say, well, Anybody who's fearing God, whether they know who that a God is or not, and anybody who is, is, is doing what's right, well, that's acceptable to God, and that's not what this passage is saying. Well, how do we know that? Well, I think the context makes it very, very clear. It doesn't mean everybody's universally accepted in the sense of right and worthy, but it means that God will accept anyone who comes to him and fears him, who comes to him humbly. God accepts Cornelius' desire to know more about God, and so he sends Peter to share the good news about him. Well, where am I getting that from? How can I be so sure? Where where does that come from in this passage? Well, Peter, look down in in verse 14 of, of chapter 11. Peter is explaining what Cornelius had heard himself in verse 14. Cornelius wasn't saved by praying to God and by giving alms. He needed to hear the message of the gospel. He was fearing God he was doing what was right, and yet he needed to hear the good news. You might have a lot of neighbors around you or friends or coworkers, and you think, "Well, they're a really good person." And they don't, I don't think they're going to even see their need for God. Cornelius' friends might have thought that too. Maybe he had Christian friends, I don't know. And you might have thought if you knew Cornelius, well, he's a God-fearer, he's got it all together. Things are going well, He seems to be doing what's right. I'm not going to share the gospel with him. He might be offended that he needs something. And yet God calls his people to go to people who look like they have it all together just as much as people who don't look like they have it together. And then in in verse 14 of chapter 11, the angel is saying, Peter will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. So the way that he was saved was not by fearing God, being a God-fearer and doing good things. It was by a message by which he would be saved. And what's that message? It's the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a message that we need to communicate, that we must communicate, that he calls his disciples to go to all those around to communicate the message by which people must be saved. The question is, are we doing that? Are we going around to people like Cornelius who look like they have it all together? Are we going around to people who are not like us who Peter would have seen Cornelius as unclean, we would have seen Cornelius as a pretty good guy. Peter would have seen him as untouchable. Are you going with the message by which people must be saved? Are you going? Are you taking the message to the unclean? Are you taking the message to the people who look like they have it all together? And Peter tells them in verses 36 to 43 that this message is that through believing in Jesus, anyone can receive the forgiveness of sins. And that's that's the message that that all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus have believed in, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ. And maybe maybe you're not a believer yet. Maybe maybe you're a God-fearer. Maybe you're far from God here. But God wants you to hear this message today, too, that He loved the world, those who were dead set against him so much that he sends his only son to take the punishment for our sins on himself, the punishment that we all know we deserve, even if you don't admit it, and to take away the God's wrath that we know that God would be angry with us for what we've done and for who we are, and yet Jesus came to to take away the wrath of God and to, to take the penalty, to bear it himself, and then God God purposed to credit, to to count us as righteous based on not what we've earned, but what Jesus earned on our behalf. And this is the good news that that Cornelius needed to hear, that we all need to hear, that people around us need to hear. And do you know that? Do you see Cornelius' around you as lost? Do you see that God calls you to go to them? Do you see that God calls you to go to the unclean? And if you do, then the question for all of us is, what are we doing about it? Or will we disobey God time after time after time after time when God speaks to us? Maybe not through an angel, but he speaks through his word. And Peter tells them the story of Jesus Christ. He tells them that we're all responsible to our Creator and the message we all need to hear is anyone who repents, anyone who turns away from living for ourselves and turning away from our sins and turning to Him, trusting the fact that Jesus has died, we we will be forgiven because of what Jesus did. And so while Peter says these things, something else happens. It's it's shocking. Remember in Acts chapter two? Anybody remember Acts chapter two what happened there? They experience this dramatic shaking where the Holy Spirit falls and they start speaking in in crazy other languages. The same thing happens here. You know, this has been called really the the Gentile Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, he falls. Peter says, while he just started speaking, Peter wasn't ready for this. At least in Acts, they were gathered together praying and asking for God to meet them and expecting something like the Holy Spirit to come. And yet, The same thing happens here when they weren't asking, they weren't seeking for the Holy Spirit. They didn't even know what they were looking for. And the Holy Spirit, he makes them alive, causes them to believe in Jesus, and he falls on them. And you know it's the same thing that happens when we preach the gospel today. It's not not us who do the work, It's, it's God who does the work. We're called to be faithful, to proclaim the message but it's God who does the work. It's God who makes alive. It's God who enables to believe. And it's God who imparts His Holy Spirit. It's not something we do. So with confidence, we can say, you know what? I'm going to be faithful, God, because you are calling me to go to the unclean. You're calling me to go to the people who look like they have it all put together. And you're calling me, and I'm going to trust you, God. But, but then also, the other thing we need to know is that we need to see that there's a confidence in that, too, that God, He wants to make people alive. And so we can just forget that there's a power in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that God promises to to make people alive. And so we kind of become ho-hum about sharing the good news instead of thinking, oh my goodness, I get to share the gospel again, the good news again, because maybe God will convert them and make them alive right now as I'm beginning to speak. And everybody who heard that listened to the word and accepted the word, they were all given this gift of the Holy Spirit and his his presence had come to live in the untouchables. Boy, that's good news for us. And God wanted them to make sure that it was obvious to Peter and to the other believers who were with Peter. And so he, he gives them the same sign that they had at Pentecost. He says, you know what, I want you to get it. I want you to see that I'm the one who made you clean. I'm the one who made you alive. I'm the one who makes them alive and, and your brothers. And there's no difference between you. The effect was immediate. The Jewish disciples, they came along with Peter. They were amazed that God's presence would have been poured out on those they previously would have thought it was unclean. So Peter affirms what God's doing. So we read in verse 48, look down your Bibles. He says, he commanded them then to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They've been made alive. They've been given the Holy Spirit. And he says, well, who's gonna withhold water from this? Can anybody think of a good reason? I like that Peter asks a rhetorical question. Nobody answers him. He just, then he commands them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The word, it was spreading far and wide, so everyone who believes in him has a forgiveness of sins. And the final truth we see from this passage, the final implication, of the fact that Jesus is Lord of all, it's really found in the last 18 verses of our passage, or, or, or chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. It's kind of a recounting of things, but it's, it's not just a recounting of things. He's trying to show, and I believe this is what God has for us from that, is that we shouldn't stand in God's way by discriminating against others. We shouldn't stand in God's way by discriminating against others. That's what he was showing them in that day, to not stand in God's way by discriminating against others. So in verse 2, look down your Bibles of of chapter 11 there. In verse 2 says, When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. How dare you, you scoundrel, you filthy vermin. I'm putting that in, but they probably said that, or at least they thought that. You went to uncircumcised men. How unclean. They criticized him. But then Peter sets them straight. He explains everything. It says he related everything in order. So this is, and, and by the way, we hear the same account three times. And that's because in Scripture, when, when God wants to make it clear, he says things three times. And so we see the third time here. Luke's sharing this the third time. He didn't have to do that, but he was trying to reiterate a message here. God's the one who makes things clean. <laughs> And we're gonna be standing in God's way for discriminating against other people. And then Peter tells them, just like John immersed in water, that just like Jesus said, that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were immersed in the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 17, look down your Bible, it says, If God gave them, if then God gave them the same gift as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? And you think, well, he's, the, he's kind of the leader of the church at the time. Who was I that I should stand in God's way? And, and what was the response? He, he asked that rhetorical question, who was I that I would stand in God's way? And he wasn't just saying that for his sake. He was saying it for the sake of those people who were questioning him. Peter's saying, well, who, who was I to stand in God's way? And then they got that question to them too. Well, who, who am I? Who are we? to be against what God has made so clear. Three times, God's made it so clear. This is what God has planned. Who are we to go against what God's made clear that he intends for his good news to go to to people who were from every tribe and tongue and nation? And so it shuts them up when he asks that question. Who am I to stand against God? And what he's kind of asking them is, who were you, who were you to stand against God? Who are you to say they're unclean? Who are you to say that we're not to go to the uncircumcised? If God says we're to do that, who am I? Who are you? It says in verse 18, look down your Bible. It says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they had an appropriate response after that. It says, they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also. God has granted repentance that leads to life. What are we meant to get? No one is ineligible. No one is to be viewed or treated as unclean. We're not to separate from people on the basis of what they do. What kind of music they listen to, how they dress or how they behave. Nobody is to be viewed or treated as unclean. There's there's no more segregation. There's to be no more discrimination. Like he told Peter, he says, "Don't don't go discriminating against them, the people that I've sent to you. God doesn't show partiality. Peter got it. He says, I know God doesn't show partiality. And so because of that, we're not to show partiality either. Because God takes all of us who are unclean and makes us clean by placing the punishment for our sins and uncleanness on Jesus and and giving us his robes of righteousness. He clothes us with his robes of righteousness. So now he considers all who believe in Jesus as made completely clean and right. Commentator Daryl Bach from his commentary on this passage he shares with us he says according i think we have this one on overheads for you it says according to paul's letters in in come of the differences he tried to arbitrate paul's position was this if the issue did not touch on the core of the gospel then let each do what was appropriate for their own conscience some would eat only certain foods others would eat anything i like that camp Maybe you like the camp of only eating certain foods. I like the eating everything part. He says, Some would set apart certain days, like opening day of hunting season. Others would treat all days the same. This approach reflected a respect for the cultural roots that did not seek to make everyone in the church exactly the same. May that be said of us, right? Did not seek to make everyone in the church exactly the same when it came to practices that were not of essential importance. Peter got it. Paul got it. Do we get that? How do you and I tend to discriminate today? Do you consider other Christians as unclean maybe because they choose to raise or, God forbid, educate their children differently than you? Oh my, is somebody going to actually homeschool their kids? Oh is somebody actually going to send their kids to public school? Oh my goodness, what if... What if that person doesn't correct the behavior of the way they're going to turn out awful? Do you consider yourself better than somebody else because of your diet? Maybe your health care choices? Maybe because you practice traditional, or holistic, or herbal medicine? Or maybe because you like doctors? Maybe we can differentiate unnecessarily and become arrogant and proud, discriminate. Not realizing the good, diverse gifts that God has given us in in so many different people. You know, I was thinking about having having somebody over to your house. Why did the Jews so closely associate foods with the people? Well, because if you think about it, having somebody over to your house who you don't like, that says something, doesn't it? having somebody over to your house who's different than you and sharing a meal with them, sitting down and sharing the same food. It, it says something. It does something. It communicates something about accepting that person and considering them equal. You're inviting them into, you're being vulnerable, and it, and it communicates that you welcome them, and you accept them, and you want to include them. Conversely, think about for a moment the kind of person you don't want coming to your house. Think about the person that you know that you find unclean or annoying. Think about the person that you know that maybe they don't bathe. Maybe they don't wear deodorant. Or maybe they're just different than you. They look different than you. They have a different accent. They come from a different background. I can't relate to them. We come from a different socioeconomic backgrounds. Well, they have a degree. I don't, or they don't have a degree. I do, or whatever those distinctions are. If you won't share a meal with you and your family, those are the people you're not welcoming as God has welcomed. You're not associating with, you're not including as God includes, and, and so we're viewing as common what God has said is not common. Maybe there are people who dress shabbily. Maybe people don't look like us. Maybe they have different color of skin or speak a different language. Maybe for you, You do this when you think about people who are immigrants, or maybe illegal immigrants. It's a hot topic right now. Do you call them unclean in your head? Or maybe even out loud? Or to the TV? Or migrant workers? Jesus had said earlier, Mark, and they got it later. It's not what comes into our mouths. It's not the outside things that make us unclean. It's not the people around us who make us unclean. It's what's in our hearts that makes us unclean in need of God's cleansing. So church, as we close, let there be no place, no place for speech that characterizes people into groups where you talk about people and you say, well, those people of that kind, from that background and you give subtle racial slurs like you say those Mexicans or those whites or those blacks or those Arabs or those immigrants or those welfare people or whatever group you're sinfully looking down on because that's sinful discrimination. We all need the same thing. We all need the same cleansing. And the answer to the need is the same. None of us is any better than the other. There's no distinction. God doesn't show partiality. Don't, Don't begin to think Somehow you are special. You're only special because God makes you clean and special. Not because you somehow warranted his, his favor. And so then let's, let's repent where we find we've done that. Let's renew our minds with these truths from God's word and wash our mouths and our actions with the truth so we don't engage in any kind of alienating behavior anymore. And let's like, be like Jesus who went to the lepers the outcasts, those who are sick, the untouchable cast in our eyes. Let's not turn away the Gandhis of our day. Let's be the Peter for the Cornelius God is calling us to go to. After all, Jesus is Lord over all. And if this is the case, we're called to take the gospel to all because that's where we all find true and lasting life. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, God, that you have called us who are unclean. Thank you, God, that you didn't look at our unclean state and reject us. But, Lord, you looked down on us and you chose to set your affections on us. You chose to love we who are unlovely and you have made us loved and beloved in you. God, I pray that you would make us astounded at your grace towards us and that you would give us a heartfelt desire to go and impart the same grace to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for coming this morning. Um, Please remember we are back at the Marriott next week. Two other announcements to be aware of. Um, Pick up invitations, I believe, to Christianity Explored and to the picnic, both back at the book table. Um, Here's something I'm going to ask everyone in the room to do. Please, please invite someone to come out to the picnic, Not, not because we like to give away food, but because we want to get to know those who don't know him. So please make a point to invite your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Pick up an invitation so they can have something in their hands to remember it by, and we'll see you this coming week. Thanks. Next week, the Marriott. See you there.